0: Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded at the pod at White City Place. I'm Ellie Stuhler. The Venice Biennale of Architecture was formally established in 1980, taking over the Italian coastal city for six months with national pavilions and individual architects and curators exploring themes that have ranged from cities and society, exploring the fundamentals of architectural practice, or in the case of this year, free space. Opening to the public on the 26th of May, this year's edition has exhibitions on market squares, gay cruising and, for the duo tasked with curating the Greek Pavilion, the architecture of the learning commons, in an exhibition titled The School of Athens.
1: That's a pretty interesting part of the project, I mean the fact that we're curating the Greek Pavilion but we're based here in London and that we used to live in New York, we've really drawn on our, uh, I don't know, connections, colleagues, friends in each of those three places.
2: Let's meet our two conversationalists.
1: I'm Ryan Nieheiser, and I'm one of the co-founders and directors of Nieheiser Argyros.
2: And I'm Christina Argyros, the other
0: director and co-founder. Ryan and Christina run Nieheiser Argyros, an international multidisciplinary architecture practice based in London. They have a combined experience across the world's top practices. OMA, Jean Nouvel, and Diller, Scafidio, and Renfro among them. They are also educators, both teaching at the Architectural Association. So learning is close to their hearts.
2: We've always had an interest in doing work in Greece, and just being being part of that conversation and the project, the, the Venice Biennale, is a great opportunity to be a little bit of both. So both represent my country, but a country that Ryan is also f- feels very familiar with at this point, but also continue to be part of the international scene.
1: So we've been teaching at the Architectural Association here in London for the last couple of years, and at, together teaching a unit in an intermediate school there. And the studio that we've been teaching has been in Athens for the last couple of years. So we've had a we've been doing kind of some pretty deep research into the city and the institutions of the city of Athens, and have been looking for ways to you know operate there in a more kind of direct way. Now, of course, the Biennale is not located in Athens, but this seemed like a kind of a good opportunity to extend some of the work we've been doing at the AA and sort of reach a broader audience and engage more deeply with with some. Uh, people in Athens, um, and hopefully this is the beginning of a longer term project as well. The project itself is called the School of Athens, and it essentially looks at the institution of the university or of the academy, starting somewhere around the time of Plato's academy, so the idea of the academy sort of coming out of ancient Greece. And over the years, it's both architecturally and institutionally uh, sort of mutated into a real wide range of things, and especially over the last Fifty to seventy years, sort of post-war, it's really sort of splintered into an almost unrecognizable sort of set of different things. Uh, it's still the sort of traditional campus in some places of Cambridge and Oxford, and that sort of permutations of that in the U.S. around the sort of American campus, but it's also increasingly now, you know, online or uh, satellite campuses in sort of far-flung places, or more sort of for-profit models. Or more sort of pop-up sort of lifelong learning models. So it's it's almost undistinguishable what what exactly the university is at this point. And so there's sort of this crisis, which is sort of interesting to us, and we're sort of taking a look at that. And kind of through the through the project, the School of Athens trying to sort of scan across that full landscape of what the institution of the university is today.
2: And, yeah. and the title itself is. Well, on the one hand, is referencing Raphael's painting. Uh, on the other hand, it, it has a very direct title to Athens. But the sort of um, ideal behind the painting is also a little bit open to interpretation and is some sort of abstraction, but also a certain um, ambition and, and inspiration of the of the space as a space of learning and as a space of teaching and exchanging ideas. So that's sort of something that also is part of the the theme.
1: Yeah, the larger theme of the Venice Biennale this year is free space, which was set by uh, Grafton architects. And it's an interesting one. I mean, one that we were sort of, you know, intrigued by. I mean, who's not intrigued by the idea of kind of (laughs) free public open space and trying to sort of interrogate what that can mean today a little bit more. So we, we, again, through the sort of work we've been doing, been thinking about universities in general. And free space sort of was an opportunity to really target in on something that's been part of that study all along, which is the kind of academic commons within the school. So the space in between the more defined classroom or learning spaces uh, and really trying to look at the architecture of that. So the, essentially the free space of the university. And so that became our kind of prompt or our question. And we do see it really as a kind of an open-ended question at this point. It's not—it's not necessarily a thesis statement at this point. Where it's—it's it's research that we're trying to sort of gather, make legible, and put on display in kind of an even way, so that so that the architecture community and and sort of larger public can can see something that maybe they they wouldn't otherwise be able to see right now, and then start to make their own draw their own conclusions. um, And that's the sort of the future of the work then is where we go from there. But the first step is just sort of putting all that on display.
2: And we're doing that by, we've selected about 56 universities or academies and we've extracted from these buildings what we consider to be the common space or the free space. So we've extracted it and then uh, turned it into 3D printed models. So basically the space of the pavilion is a field of white plastic uh, 3D-printed models of 56 academic commons. The process itself has been pretty fast, because we've only had two months to come up with the content of the exhibition, but also we didn't know what we would come up with when we started. It's a very subjective process. Like There's no clear definition of what common space is or where do you draw the boundaries of that space. That has led to interesting conversations with our students, both at the AA but also with students at the National Technical University in Athens, because our project has been a collaboration between these two institutions, these two schools, and we've sort of been the coordinators and sort of leading the facilitators. research facilitators. Yeah. But yeah, it's been an interesting conversation between us and the students of you know how do you define common space, how do you define free space, and how do you represent it? Uh, is it a surface? Is it a volume? Is it a? Do you have to understand the enclosure? Do you have to understand it as a space you? occupy or is a space that you might be there might be more flexibility in terms of what you can do
1: yeah maybe in a lot of ways it's been i guess for me at least it's been trickier than i thought it was going to be or it's been it's been there's been more difficult decisions and more sort of i don't know gray area to try and interpret subjectively interpret than maybe i anticipated We've also been, I mean, I think we, we make no claim of this being a kind of a canonical list of, of university schools. There's there's hundreds, if not thousands, of examples out there that we could have selected from, again, in the short period of time. And given the space and sort of budgetary constraints, we had to kind of just go for it and <laughs> try yeah. and get a representative sample across time and around the world today.
2: We started in the end of February, early March. <laughs> yeah,
1: so it's been, it's been really a, a sprint to try and get all this pulled together. But yeah, I mean, some, some really interesting conversations about what how you define that academic commons of course it also it's not as architects we're, we're just focused now on the kind of physical academic commons that extends in a much more broader way and onto sort of uh, into digital space and a sort of a more of a kind of cultural commons that's a whole other sort of part of the conversation that we're i think maybe just touching on but really trying to keep the focus around architectural space
2: and, we, and, and, we've, shaped, specific geometry. and we've shaped the interior of the pavilion as an academic common itself. So we've created this stepped landscape, which is not at all something unique. It's actually an architectural cliche in universities to have like lots of steps and stairs. The
1: amphitheater, the, yeah. the sort of dominance of the amphitheater as a typology.
2: And I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but something that is very familiar. And it's worth to keep revisiting and looking at and understanding why there's a fascination with steps.
1: This space, we'll be, we'll be hosting um, a, a sort of an all-day symposium on the first Saturday of uh, the Venice Biennale where we have different architects from around the world come in and each present one project and sort of how they think of the academic commons and one of the projects they've worked on uh, in quick little 15-20 minute presentations that will take place within that space as a kind of learning space, kind of a classroom, but also in the kind of spirit of, of Raphael's School of Athens, a little bit in between. It's not quite a room. It's not quite a... Landscape is a little bit inside, it's a little bit outside, it's a little bit ambiguous as to how you're supposed to use it. People will be still sort of flowing through, coming to see the exhibition as the presentations are taking place.
2: I'm looking at um, hosting a a few other events during the summer. So, not just the opening symposium, but perhaps a conversation, uh, to continue the conversation between the two universities, to bring all the students back into the space and maybe address some of the projects that they've all worked on on Athens
1: I will say that's a pretty interesting part of the project as well is I mean the fact that we're curating the Greek pavilion but we're based here in London and that we used to live in New York we've really drawn on our I don't know connections colleagues friends in each of those three places as we come to this so that that, you know the Saturday symposium there's a lot of British architects who will be speaking a lot of New York American-based architects uh, a few Greek architects as well and in the student collaboration as well that's really been a kind of a I don't know north south uh, European effort and that's interesting. I think it's interesting for the Greek students as well to see how outsiders view their city or sort of think about some of the spaces that they're coming from. Uh, basically, you know, different people take on the same issue. In the studio, we've been teaching. That's been working on Athens. I guess that's been a little bit more immediate. We've been our. AA students who are, you know, a real international group have been trying to think about the role of the university specifically in Athens, so designing new university spaces in Athens. And that's a kind of a dialogue that we're, a more specific dialogue that we'll hope to bring to the pavilion later on in the summer, our students from both places who have been specifically working on Athens.
2: Well, Athens is a a pretty interesting city. Uh, If you ask locals, they'll say it's very ugly, but it's a very ugliness that makes it interesting. There's a almost relentless repetition of this building typology called Polykatikia which is a concrete shell uh, that was developed well it flourished mostly in the 50s and 60s and has basically taken over the entire city um so where you might think that Athens is an ancient city is actually very modern and it's actually it, the, the other thing that people tend to associate with Greece is the neoclassical architectural style which is also Mistakenly thought to be Greek. It was actually a German and European style that flourished in the nineteenth century and was actually imported to Athens. Um, As part of the, the nation
1: building process. Yeah,
2: because yeah. Athens became a capital in the, in the 1830s. Uh, before that, it was actually a, a small village. So it is t- today, it is very much this homogeneous, Field of concrete, white concrete buildings. There seem to be very few exceptions architecturally, but also in in terms of open voids and and solids.
1: Public space. There's a kind of a lack, marked lack of public space, especially compared to the EU average of other European capitals. So, so I mean that that's a kind of an interesting condition that we. That, yeah, is is one of the things that we've been really tackling and what's partially what led us to this look at institutions. A lot of people who look at Athens really focus on the housing typology, this Polykothekia, and ways of sort of working with that, because that's what really makes Athens unique in a lot of ways. But on the flip side of that, it's the relationship between that kind of homogeneity with those exceptions, which can be public space, and that's something we're interested in, but also in its institutions. Um, so one we think kind of overlooked opportunity is to look at, at educational institutions and their relationship to public space, especially in Athens. A lot of the universities in the 70s and 80s moved out of the center of Athens to a kind of a new set of suburban campuses, partially just because they were expanding and needed more space and needed to sort of take on more students, but also as a kind of a response to some of the political upheavals of the 60s and 70s and a kind of as a way to kind of control or, or de-intensify the kind of political unrest from the center of this city, distribute it a little bit more. So part of our studio is, is really looking at ways of maybe bringing that student population and all of its energy back into the center of the city as a way of kind of reactivating the city itself, which is, is struggling especially through the crisis of the last few years with quite a bit of abandonment and poverty and just not having the kind of municipal tax dollars to sort of pay for the upkeep of the city. So, it, there is a kind of a, a clear struggle taking place and difficult for architecture to fully engage with that but we're, we're trying to think mm-hmm. through ways
2: even before the crisis a lot of athenians were moving out into the suburbs just looking for more open space looking for a little cleaner air but then the financial crisis has made the situation worse especially for businesses that have moved out so there's a lot of as ryan said a lot of abandonment and just there seem to be a lot of opportunities. Much easier to do in, well, probably easier to do in a small scale, but this is where we find the university as a scale being interesting because it is, and you you think of it as being big.
1: Sort of more ambitious. More ambitious,
2: but I mean, it it could also be big as an agglomeration of smaller parts.
1: In terms of the scene in in Athens right now, I mean, there's a really, I don't know, amazingly talented group of architects that, that we know from them. We are a little bit removed from the scene, but um, some of our friends and colleagues and other people that we sort of have followed there, there's some really talented people. Unfortunately, there's not a, a lot of work right now in, in the city. So a, a lot of Greek architects, a lot of Greek trained architects are, have come to London or traveled to the States to sort of work. Maybe of, of late, the sort of two big architectural projects in Athens have been uh, Bernard Schumi's uh, Acropolis Museum a few years ago. It's and already, then, well, it's already more than 10 years 10 years ago, at now, yeah. this yeah, It still stands out, though, as one of those kind of main institutional projects. And then the other one is, is Renzo Piano's Niarchos yeah. Foundation, the new sort of opera house and public national library, I guess.
2: Which just opened last year.
1: And both of those are, are pretty, you know, ambitious, bold, institutional projects for the city, and offer interesting examples which you can, you know, critique and debate whether or not it was the right way to spend money in the city, but it, it, it has sort of opened up a, an interesting conversation and have been successful in certain ways and maybe less successful in others.
0: You're listening to Thought Starters recorded at White City Place. In conversation are Ryan Niehiser and Christina Argyros of Nieheiser Argyros and co-curators of the Greek Pavilion at the Venice Biennale of Architecture this year.
1: The opening weekend of the Biennale is a circus, it's a kind of delirious, Sort of social extravaganza. There's a lot of amazing stuff, but you don't, of course, never have time to see it all. It's mostly this kind of, you know, epic reunion of architects from all over the world getting together, and so you know everybody's reconnecting, which has its own kind of value. And there's a, a clear exchange of ideas that come through that.
2: It's a big, it's a big party.
1: It's a big party as well. Yeah, and and, and there's value in that. I mean, the, the we have done some thinking about the kind of trying to think about the audience because it is a, maybe a pretty split audience between that opening weekend who we're reaching out to who we're talking to through our exhibition and then over the next six months six months is a long time for an exhibition to be on and who really we're speaking to during that time and if that's a slightly different audience probably many fewer architects probably much more italian and so you know trying to think about the kind of content of the exhibition reaching in those two directions I mean, I think there's definitely value in the Biennale. I mean, we still look back, you know, at some of the, the last few years, at who did what, which exhibition was happening. Maybe less so the kind of bigger arc or somehow bigger statement, but um, there's, you know, some individual achievements or sort of constructions or buildings or interventions or bits of research that, you know, always sort of stand out and people still refer to. So it's definitely a kind of a an important... Landmark that sets a certain rhythm to the kind of architectural discourse, I guess, every two years. But I I, I don't know. I think we're not trying to sort of think about it in, in too big of terms, just in terms of the work we're doing. It's something that is interesting to us. Uh, it's a great opportunity to have this space, to have this audience, and to try and push something forward that, yeah, we've sort of had a hunch about and a kind of I don't know, hankering to to dig into a little bit deeper.
2: And we're looking forward to seeing what. Everyone else has done. I mean, now that once you're in it and you're yeah. part of it, you more consciously want to know what else is happening.
1: Yeah, how are they responding to the theme? Yeah. How are they dealing with this like you know, sort of intense time crunch and fundraising and all uh, the other you know, kind and of there logistical craziness? And there have it.
2: been press releases of other uh, countries and other pavilions. We just haven't looked into them yet. We're just <laughs> running to get our our yeah. things done. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be, be super interesting to... Both meet other curators and other organizers, and also see what how they've uh, formed the space, but also what what the content of their exhibition is. Cause yeah. it's like it's like a two-part equation. It's like one is the spatial, mm. if if you do anything spatial, and the second is the actual stuff that goes inside. Yeah, and past pavilions, uh, sp- uh, Greek pavilions have been more. There's a curator, but then there are lots of different participants, and each one is sort of putting their own project on the table.
1: It really has been a kind of a stronger curatorial role of then selecting other architecture projects the last couple of years. So ours is a little bit different from that in that it's a little bit more of a, I don't know, self-guided research project or something that's been a collaborative process for sure, but not so much a kind of sampling of recent architectural work. So there's kind of two... Biennale projects that we're, <laughs> we're looking at right now. So one is the Venice Biennale, which is taking up a lot of our time right now. Right after that, uh, we're working on the London Design Biennale, where we're, we're collaborating with a Greek artist for the kind of Greek intervention in that, which will be the, the central pavilion intervention at, at Somerset House, opening uh, later in the summer. So, so just
2: Studio ju- is our collaboration. Studio
1: Innes, yeah. So anyways, that's a really exciting one, totally different from this, much more kind of experiential, uh, physical, uh, spatial kind of pavilion. Less research, but that's, so that's happening. At the much bigger scale, one of the sort of big projects we've had in the office for the last couple of years has been, it's a collaboration with Diller Scafidio and Renfro, and it's a large public space project in East London, out on Greenwich Peninsula, uh, kind of a five kilometer long public walking trail, partially grade, partially elevated. It strings together a series of kind of cultural retail and kind of recreational facilities. So that's a big project, and we're running that out of our office here, but in collaboration with, with DSR's office in New York. <laughs> Maybe related to that one, we also we, we collaborated with the and Renfro on the competition for the new Center for Music, the new uh, London Symphony Orchestra Hall, which will be right near the Barbican
2: and a few other competitions that few other competitions we've lost but <laughs> <Of course. laughs> but the, I mean the collaboration continues to happen yeah um, I mean you're young as a practice you're perhaps more inclined to also be more open i mean but it's definitely something that has been productive and probably will keep doing uh, in the future as well so uh, like keep open different possibilities of working with different architects but also different artists, different students. Uh, academics <laughs> students, yeah just keeping the conversation going with different audiences and, and collaborators. And
1: I think we're sort of generally skeptical of defining ourselves too narrowly as, as architects or as a kind of a project within architecture and so I think part of that collaboration is a way of sort of constantly sort of pushing ourselves outside of that boundary sort of stretching in one direction mm-hmm. or another yeah, so I think it's maybe tied up in that.
0: That was Ryan Neheiser and Christina Argyris of Neheiser Argiris. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a Deanna Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Sean Crook, and edited by Claire Urban. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at White City Place. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time.